This, this morning we're looking at calling. But I, I read a little story this week that I wanted to begin with, um, a, a bit of a modern-day parable. And it's a really simple story about a poor, a poor young gentleman, and he was walking along a dusty road. And uh, he was pretty hungry, and all he had was a bowl um, of rice. And he was walking along this road, and he saw a kind of clouds and storm of dust coming his way. And he kind of was walking, protecting this, this bowl of rice. And eventually the dust sort of threw it as it settled. He could see that there were horses and chariots and a carriage, and it turned out that it was a king. And this king steps out of the carriage and, and actually approaches him there with his little bowl of rice. And the king comes to him and says, oh, good sir, do you have any food? Um, I'm really hungry. And, and the, the, this, this poor young gentleman says, uh, yeah, yep, I've got some. And, and he gives him, um, he slowly takes out three grains of rice and gives them to the king. Uh, and the king says, thank you, good sir. And he, he um, takes his rice and then he comes back with a chest. Uh, he opens the chest and he takes out three coins and says, thank you, here's three coins and um, have a good day and goes back to his chariot and the horses and everyone leaves. And there this man is with his three coins and his bowl of rice. And he thinks to himself, man, imagine if I'd given him the whole bowl of rice. And as I read this story, I was struck. I sat there thinking, brought up a whole range of thoughts for me. This man pondered, imagine if... And I think we've, we've all had moments like that. Imagine if we'd done something slightly different that may have had a slightly different result. And at the time, this, this, this story was, was speaking to me about generosity and, and things like that. But uh, yet, um, just yesterday, this, this story popped back to my head and I realised that it really speaks in to the heart of God and even into our, our calling as followers of Jesus and I believe in this story, the man was blinded by his own circumstances, situation, his own needs, that he was unable to see perhaps a divine opportunity, perhaps something that was happening beyond what was in front of him. And I believe in many ways, um, as we're looking at the Gospel of Mark and as we're looking at the call that Jesus has for every single person on earth, there's a truth here. And the truth is looking at what is ours, what's in our hands, and what does it look like to let go? What does it look like to fully trust, to fully surrender with our whole being, our whole life, our whole heart? And in many ways, I believe Jesus taught us that this is a daily practice that I believe we all need to continue to grow into. And, and I believe that's where the Lord's leading us today, that there are further things in our lives that we need to let go to be able to fully serve the King Jesus, our King. And so um, as we come to this, uh, this week, and we're going to be looking at just different aspects on what Jesus um, reveals and how Mark portrays it in the Gospel. This morning as we look at calling, this question is huge inside and outside of the church. What is my calling? Um, there was a young adults event in Crow's Nest this week, combined churches with a, a special um, guest. Her name was Jo Saxton. And, and the title of her talk for this, this range of young adults was, What on earth am I here for? 
Um, she was uh, Nigerian-born, lived, lived, grew up in London, and um, now lives, serves in America. Um, and, sh- and she was incredible. Uh, I got to uh, hear from her on the Friday as well. But what on earth am I here for? And, and this question has plagued generations and it, it plagues the, the heart and soul of, of humanity. Um, in fact, you know, as we all know, the soul, um, our heart, our whole being, it craves meaning and purpose with what we do on our Sunday, our Monday, our Thursday. Um, we all crave, we, we want to be feel like that, that our life has some sort of meaning. I love the kind of famous line that, um, that, that there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts. Blaise Pascal, um, a, a, an old French mathematician and physicist, inventor, writer and Catholic theologian, summed up that we all have this God-shaped hole. And I think when it comes to, to calling, that, that, that nothing will fully satisfy. We know that truth. But um, in our life at the moment, what does that look like? Because the truth is that with that, with that hole, the only thing that will fully satisfy it is a life surrendered, letting go of control to the King of Heaven, the Son of God, Jesus. Um, the Year 12s, majority of them are going into trials at the moment and then HSC is, is upon them. And uh, we were able to pray with some of them on Friday night here at Youth. But um, one of the things that, that causes the most anxiety, um, particularly for Year 12s, is the bombarding of questions, um, which probably we've all been guilty of. Um, it's probably come from a good place. But the, the number one question we will ask a Year 12 is, oh, what are you going to do with your life? Um, and what are you going to study? Who, you know, what, what job are you going to have? And the world and the society we live in has such a priority on individual success, individual study, job, call, purpose, destiny. And whilst those things are important, beyond what we even realise, we're conditioned on what people do, not who they are. And so uh, when it comes to year 12s, it's such a burden that it, it, it really increases anxiety, depression. You talk to any school, um, counselling and appointments and support, booms in year 12 for what goes on and I believe that's just a condition and a fruit of of the society we are in here in in Sydney but this question isn't just for year 12s Um, and I I guess I've had the the privilege of of being a pastor here and beginning to see what it looks like to walk with people of all ages and generations but but this question um, hits all ages all generations your, your 30s your 40s then you've got your midlife um, what's, go- what, what's going on, and that's why they often call the midlife crisis. Um, and, and then you've got the next stage probably eventually in, in retirement. But then there's also beyond retirement as, as you become elderly, that there's still a desire to have hold on to some sense of still being a part of the world and contributing. And so this question of calling and what I do with each day is huge. And so today... One of the things we're looking for is, well, does Jesus have the solution? Does he offer how we could find peace with this desire, this craving? And does, the, does Mark and his record of Jesus and his life with the disciples, does he give us insight into it? So um, if you want to follow along, I'm going to just reread um, a bit of chapter 1 and then 3. And we're just going to kind of look at the journey of the first three chapters of Mark. Um, Mark is probably um, most agree that it was the, the earliest written gospel and, and many people, oh, not many, 
uh, Matthew, Luke and, and probably John um, were inspired and built upon Mark's gospel. And, and Mark's gospel is known, it's the one I recommend to, to most new Christians and especially young people. It's only 16 chapters. It's action-packed. Um, Mark was wanting to build a pace and an excitement and an energy that captivated people of who Jesus was and what he could do. And so particularly in the first three chapters, it's explosive, it's exciting. So um, um, after we read about John the Baptist and then the baptism of Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry from verse 14, this is what we read. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Then immediately left their nets and followed him. They immediately. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. This is the very beginning of of the first things we read that Jesus was to say, the actions that he was to take. It's a summary. It's it's, it's not um, exactly specifically probably in every detail that occurred, Um, but it's a record. And it's divine and we believe inspired by the Holy Spirit. And um, what I love here is that the, the gospel, which means good news, the good news that Jesus preached was of the kingdom of God. He said the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's here. And the people had been waiting for something like this and it ends up looking incredibly different, incredibly humble, incredibly intimate. And the kingdom was not going to be castles and horses and chariots. It wasn't going to be a place. Jerusalem wasn't going to be the the only home of the king where the temple and the glory would all be. That was not what Jesus brought. But what he brought here and in this Greek word, Basileia, it was not a specific place, but it was a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. It was a realm. It was a rule. And it was the kingship of Jesus that was representing that God is over all things. He's over all creation. The stars were made to worship. So will we, that everything is God's handiwork. And what Jesus was saying is that I know that you have kings and kingdoms, Roman rule, Greek influence, armies coming here, people wanting to take over different parts and domains of the world. But what has come right now is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, a spiritual rule. And it's here and it's yours. It's in your midst. And he's training them in the good news of the kingdom. Something I think still Jesus is probably wanting to deepen in our hearts and in our beliefs. As we, as we sometimes despair over the state of, of a post-Christian world, of secularism, of consumerism, of political parties, of Australia's direction, those, whilst we honour and respect them, are not the rule and authority over our lives. And so Jesus brings this radical new picture of the kingdom. 
Mark Sayers, a pastor in Melbourne, a cultural expert, huge following with a, a podcast the last couple of years called This Cultural Moment. He's got a new book coming out about um, reappearing church that comes out this week. And he has an incredible voice on what God he believes is doing through culture in the decline of the West, that actually what if it's not to give us despair, but it's actually to be exciting. And one of, uh, in, a, in a place where God will move as, as things shift. But, and that's where we need to place our belief. But the line um, that they use in one of the seasons of this podcast is that today in the West, many of us, we want the kingdom, but not the king. And he, he frames their discussions around, we want all the, the fruit and the benefits of the kingdom of heaven and God and peace and joy. And, and uh, we want to see all the good things that come with that. We want the kingdom. But so many of our lives, our heart and our time does not reflect that we want the king that we want a relationship with Jesus each day of our lives, the Son of God, the exact representation of our perfect Father in heaven, the kingdom without the King. But here in this moment, whatever it is that Jesus carries, the presence, the person, this fully, fully human but fully God being that stepped from heaven to earth, then says, come and follow me, and he calls one by one, crowds, and, and in these, this record, these specific people to follow him, to devote their lives to him, to follow an entire new way, to spend their time and their lives with him. Jesus had been trained and, and was known as a teacher and a, and a rabbi. He'd come through. People had been amazed with him. And now he picks some of the outsider society, re- rejected or poorer class men, just humble fishermen to come under his, uh, his school, under his feet as a rabbi, to show them who God is, what heaven's plans are for earth, and then to imitate it. And we see here that um, he called Simon and Andrew, Simon who was to become Peter, and then also James and John. And here we see that the initial calling for the disciples was to follow Jesus to follow the way of Jesus. Luke, since I've known him for the last 10 years, has used the picture of of following in the dust of of the rabbi, that image that um, those who followed a rabbi would sit at their feet and learn and immerse their lives under him. And that that throughout the ages, much has been written of this incredible picture that those who followed their rabbi would end up with the dust of their feet. I love this powerful image and and here I believe this is the calling over the disciples. The fact that they would end up in the dirt with those that had leprosy. They would end up in the dirt with women or prostitutes who had been outcast. They would end up in the dirt of villages as they went town to town. That they would be covered in the dust of Jesus. In in a book called Walking in the Dust of of Rabbi Jesus, uh, Lois Terberg writes, as, he, as I explored the lands and cultures of the Bible, I realized that I did indeed need to have not only faith in Jesus, but also to develop the faith of Jesus. And what I believe is being revealed here in who Jesus was and the type of relationships he formed that he wants with us is a whole of life, day-to-day immersed experience where we're covered in the dust. 
and not that we would only believe in who he is, believe in his teachings, but we would believe like him. And, and this rabbi, uh, this, this fellow Lois um, that wrote uh, this, this record talks about walking around literally where Jesus was and, and through Israel and through all the lands of, of the Holy Lands and actually getting this new encounter of realising, oh, it wasn't just to hear the heart of God, to hear the teachings of God, but it was to walk and believe like Jesus. He, he then draws out um, explaining for us, who most of us who aren't Jewish here, um, today, he explains how as you begin to connect the culture and study some of Judaism, um, particularly as you spend time in, in Israel and around that, that area, you begin to see that, that, that Jesus was bringing the, the, the Jewish culture and truths and beliefs from the past and renewing them and exciting them and, and honouring them. The Shema prayer that we read in Deuteronomy was known as a, a day and night prayer of Jewish people. For over two millenniums, they had prayed this prayer about loving the one and only true God with all of their heart, all of their soul and all of their strength. And in Mark 12, that is the exact greatest commandment given to the disciples. And so as they spent every day following in the dust of Jesus, they were learning to love the one true God with all their heart, all their soul and all their strength. And as you, he, he writes, as you follow your rabbi, as you follow Jesus, your heart changes. And that is the disciples' calling here in Mark. And I believe it's the exact calling that we have. If you think about, um, I'm going to draw to that in just a sec, um, Fraser, just pop back. If you think about today and and what our following looks like, um, it's a very different type of, of, we have heroes, we have people that we follow on social media, we look at their photos, their tweets, their images, Today, our idea of following and, and even friendships are much more by distance than face-to-face. And that there isn't this whole-of-life immersion in the followers and leaders often. And, and that's society and Sydney's kind of, of way of, of following, whereas what we can draw from the past um, and through um, Judaism and particularly the, the Jewish people was this whole of life connection and, and heart to heart. And as Mark rapidly moves on, um, we, we read at the end of chapter 1, um, here in, in I think verse 27, we read that the people were amazed with what was going on. Um, here they had just seen um, an, an incredible deliverance. And the people were so amazed, they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And what we're seeing in Jesus' approach is that he would teach with authority, with belief, with truth, with conviction, with passion, but he would also practice it. His theory would line up with his practice so that people were amazed at what was happening as they saw people healed, delivered from uh, evil. And again, we see that this was the way of Jesus. He was training the disciples and I believe the way for us. In verse 35, moments later, we see that in the early morning it was still dark and Jesus got up and he was praying. He was spending time by himself with God. I was so encouraged and I believe there'll be more opportunities for us. But last weekend, um, there was um, 
two days over the weekend um, where the prayer room had been set up incredibly by Kerry um, Herkus here and, and um, many people sat in that prayer room. And um, I uh, yeah, had the joy of, of challenging myself to go there at a time where it was dark. And I just testified to the power of um, when we go to different places, when we make special time. But I kid you not, as I walked in in the dark at this kind of eerie time, I felt something uh, visually, physically, emotionally as I stepped into that room. It was, I mean, the heater was on, so it was nice and warm. Um, so there was a bit of the heating going on. But, but it was is, as if I could kind of smell and taste the prayers of the 30 people who'd been in there before me. And it felt like I was actually walking into something thicker. And I, I truly just in that moment was like, wow, this is the prayers of God's people. This is the heart of God's people who have sat with God. And um, I believe that Jesus shows us his number one calling was to, to be with God. And again, he's modelling the type of calling over our lives. And as we move to chapter 2, Mark keeps the action going. Um, and I mean, there's this incredible story where there was such a crowd that three men had to cut a hole in the roof and lower someone in. And that man was not only healed, but before that his sins were forgiven and people are in awe of Jesus' authority. And we read after that that people were amazed again. They said, we've never seen anything like this. They were blown away by the, this human who had divine power, who had authority. Evil obeyed him and word was spreading. After that, he, he calls Levi the tax collector a sinner, spends time with him, loves him. People question it and, and he says to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not called, come to call the righteous but the sinners. And we see this incredible life of Jesus that he's calling the disciples to follow him, to spend time with people that wouldn't expect you to use your time with. And again, I begin to look at our calling today and go, who are the people you're spending time with that people will be amazed at? Why would... Why would you spend time with them? They're not, they're not like us. And that's the type of calling that Jesus was showing his disciples that I think this morning is revealing for us afresh. And let's read a, a bit from chapter 3, a, a, another little moment. There has been further healings and deliverance and display of God's power. And then comes this moment. Jesus goes up on the mountain and he calls to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have power, to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, and the list goes on of the twelve whom had not only been following him, and when you read in Luke chapter 6, we actually read that again Jesus had been praying in the, in the night. And God confirmed of all the crowds that had followed him and the disciples he called, he appointed 12 to be apostles with a specific call for the church to be spread through them. And in this moment, he appoints and anoints them for a certain task. What was the call he gives them here? I love it in verse 14. And again, I think it's an approach and a model for us that we might be with him and we might go out to preach. That 
they were called, that they would be with him and then they would go out. And how would they go out? With power, with authority. The same authority that God had given Jesus, Jesus has now given to them. We read throughout the Gospels that they themselves were amazed that demons, that evil submitted to them, that the light in them had power over the darkness. And I believe this is another moment for us to go, what is Mark trying to show us here? And what was Jesus revealing? He was revealing that we have power and authority. The word here, exousia in the Greek, for authority, which means power, capacity, delegated influence, strength, competency. This was the power that Jesus was sending them out in. And that I believe we're being reminded this morning in this whole of life calling. So what does this approach in Mark's gospel reveal? I've summarised it on this next slide. What does Jesus call the disciples into? He calls them into a whole life, whole of life practice. Not Sunday Christianity, not two days a week, but a whole of life relationship. Jesus taught them. He took them with him. He was vulnerable and open with them. And not only did he teach them, but he demonstrated to them the kingdom, the power of God. And finally, he sends them out to do the same with the same spiritual authority. In Genesis 1, verse 27, we read that after God had created us, created man and female in the image of God, he gave a commission, the first commission before the Great Commission, for all of humanity to rule over creation. And the word rada. Um, means also delegated power and influence and authority. And what Jesus was giving the disciples was what God originally gave before sin and evil entered the world to humanity. And, I, and it was this concept for spiritual authority that changed my discipleship, that changed my heart. When I began to realise that I didn't only need to know Jesus, but he had given me the same authority, the same power, he had trusted me with that. It changed how I walked, how I talked, how I spent time with young people, with friends, with peers, how I mentor, that I too would, would pass down the truth of that authority that we all have over all creation, over all evil, over all situations, over all sickness, that the power of the cross through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have power over death. We're able to bring light into darkness. And the more we believe in that, the more that that will be released through our words, our heart, our life. And that is our greatest call as we follow Jesus, as we know and love him. Um, a beautiful picture to share with you on Friday night was our first week back at youth. And I'm just amazed by the culture of faith for prayer that's now within our young people. And there was a moment near the end of the night where I encouraged everyone in pairs to pray for one person in their life that they could be reaching out to. And um, we just had a few minutes left at the end of the night and the room just dispersed upstairs across the whole room. Kids who were 11 years old, right through to 18 and then with their leaders in pairs. And I saw them. I didn't even ask them to stand or sit or place a hand. 
and, and kids as young as 12 are, are laying a hand on each other and in the name and authority of Jesus praying for a friend or a family member or a school that they would have the authority to go out and to love them in the ways Jesus has loved them. And, and this picture just refreshed me for the whole term of why we do youth ministry. This morning you've heard stories of kids ministry and Hannah's heart and what the team were doing and I got to see that at Kids Mania. So what I believe our greatest calling, our primary calling for all of us is to follow Jesus, to love him and know him. I mentioned in Mark 12 that that Jesus breaks it down into the two greatest commandments. I believe we too often jump to the second commandment to love others, to love our neighbours ourselves. But I believe our primary calling is the first commandment to love God before we love others. And that's with our whole heart and soul and strength. The calling that we're all searching for, that we often think we need to find at each stage of our life, is in fact in your relationship with Jesus, to know Him. And I believe if if we truly were to spend enough time with Him, He would satisfy us and and we would just accidentally find our, our calling in this season, the right job, the right people to hang out with. I believe that is what what Mark reveals our our calling is. And then there's our secondary calling that goes out to others. And that's where we take our time and our gifts and where we place our calling in a context and that will change with seasons. But I believe Jesus is showing us our primary calling is to get in the dust of Jesus every day, to talk to him, to walk with him and to know him. One way this was, was put to me the last couple of years, a church um, in Dallas called Upper Room, they, they call it the in and out lifestyle, where every day, and I mean, they have a prayer room that you can go to every day, uh, morning, noon and night, but you can do this in your own time anywhere. But they talk about going in to the presence of God and listening to him and going out. And every day they're just trying to go in and out. And if you track through the Old Testament, you'll see Moses, then Joshua, you'll see Caleb, you'll see David and Solomon constantly coming into God, listening to him, and then going out and leading the people. Psalm 121 says, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Psalm 121, 7 to 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going. And this concept unlocked for me that it's that simple every day if I was to go in and listen to Jesus each morning and then come out. If I would do that, I would come out and be ready to father my child, to be a husband, to be a youth pastor, to be a son to my family, to be a friend to my friends. That's secondary to my primary calling to follow and to know Jesus. And then everything will flow out of that. The tension for all of us is amidst the world where the world will portray to us that there's, there's a one job for you. There's one perfect thing you have to do and that's your calling and that's what will satisfy and you will feel a sense of achievement in. I don't think that's what Jesus taught. I believe seasons and circumstances will change. But our in and out with God does not change. This idea of letting go, um, for me, um, I remember throughout my, from 18 to 25, wrestling with the calling of God and questioning everything I ever had to do. I remember when I, I, I wanted to date Emma, I was like, is God calling me to date her? 
And I would get um, stuck in a question like that. With generosity, I would be like, ah, is God calling me with this? And then later uh, along, um, oh, should I go to this place? Should I travel to this place? Oh, I've been with Emma two, three years. God, are you calling me to marry her? And so often I wouldn't be certain. But eventually I was able to, to let go of trying to have the exact answer I needed. But I would spend time with Jesus, spend time in the Word of God. In fact, um, Dave Byrne, a, a leader here, was one of my first small group leaders, um, a, a leader back in the day, said to me that the will of God you'll always find in the Word of God. And, and the Word of God, both His presence and His voice that I'll come to in prayer, but also His Word will lead me. And after three years, I, had, I just had to ask myself, can you love Emma for the rest of your life? Mm, yeah, I could. So I married her. But there was all these questions that came to me. Can I love her? Can, does she love me? Do, do we work well together? Can we make Jesus um, important and known? And I went through all these questions and I had no no's. But I never got this lightning bolt that I should marry her. But I realised that together we could follow Jesus for the rest of our life. We've tested it out for a few years and, and I made the decision to get married. For me, with my, um, my calling at the moment to be a pastor, it didn't finally increase until I let go of some things. And it happened in finally one huge thing. I'd had moment after moment where God was anointing and whispering and leading and guiding me to let go of my acting degree, let go of wanting to be an actor. But I still was working in a cafe. I had an agent um, to, be, to get me uh, auditions as an actor. And then I was going to Bible college and, and I knew Jesus had asked me to become a shepherd and a pastor. But I thought I could carry all these things. And it finally happened to be an audition that it wasn't for me. I, I knew from God, so I told the agency I, I wasn't going to audition. And it was a, a, a pretty big gig and one no one should say no to. And um, I ended up receiving this uh, note. Hi, Andrew. It is inconceivable that you have chosen not to attend such an important and valuable audition. Anyone who is serious and committed to their acting would not think twice about an opportunity like this. In fact, they wouldn't think twice about an opportunity. Not giving yourself the chance not only affects you, it affects us. We work to get our talent um, to this point and you have stopped us from substantial income. Based on this, I can see you're not serious about your acting. Therefore, I'm releasing you from the agency active immediately. We wish you all the best with your life journey. <laughs> Uh, so that was the end of my acting career. Thanks, Craig. And um, it, it was because I, I did obey the voice of God and I turned down this audition. But even then, I wasn't willing to turn down my career and my agent. But they, they cut me off. <laughs> and I'd been taught this at acting school. But it was for me this moment I realised, okay, it's time to let go of that. Stop controlling my life. Give everything. Give my whole self to following Jesus and what he's asking me to do. And that was where the Holy Spirit was leading me. That was where the rivers of living water were flowing from my heart. They'd been coming in and I was quenching them with holding on to things that weren't for me in that season. And so I let go and I let the river flow through me. And so the question for us is then is how, how, do, we, um, get, how, do, we, get, uh, how do we overcome the obstacles that come our way? How do we know? How do we test with the Word of God, the voice of God? And I believe that's where we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. 
and he anoints us. In fact, one of the, the, the 12 that Jesus appointed was Peter. And if we, I've got a slide with just two verses from Peter's letter to the church. And, and Peter himself, as he followed Jesus, it was up and down. And the disciples' journey had highs and lows. They doubted. They distrusted. They made mistakes. So we can all find comfort that we don't need to get this perfect, this following of Jesus and, and this call. But Peter describes in his letter to the church, years after Jesus had died, he says his divine, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And I just love that, that Peter discovers this truth, that he's been given authority. He's been given divine power and authority and that he begins to participate in the divine nature of Jesus. And I believe that is our calling. And whatever workplace, whatever family, whatever suburb you're in, God's placed you there. That's your context. But your calling is to meet with Jesus, to love Jesus, to listen to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit lead you from that place. And that's what a life of walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit looks like. That is why Jesus eventually after he left, he left, but he sent the Holy Spirit there in Acts 2 and he poured out the final solution, which was the presence of God living and dwelling in our hearts to anoint us. And so I believe our calling to follow Jesus is married with our anointing. A final slide I'll put up that you can either jot down and, and as I finish, um, for me this um, really unlocked an understanding in my 20s how I've, I've broken down the life I live and what I do. Because too often I thought my calling needed to be what I do. And if my calling was to be a youth pastor at Dural, I would perform and I would try and be something for this church. But that is not my calling. That's currently the context that where God's anointing me, the gifts he's given me and the character I have to be a youth pastor here. But my calling is actually just to be a child of God, a follower of Jesus. That is our calling to follow him. And that gives us our identity. And as we follow him, our character grows, our integrity increases. We discover our gifts. Our gifts give us our ability. Our gifts don't give us our identity. They give us our ability. And then with our calling, our character and our gifts, I believe it's from that place. As we listen to Jesus, he leads us and anoints us. And that gives us purpose. I adapted this from um, a, a pastor in America, Chris Vallotton. But for me, once I became peaceful and, and began to trust God with, with my true calling, to grow my character, to find my gifts, I then realised it was up to my relationship to work out where he's anointing me. And often it's about having a go. It's about jumping in there. This word anointing often um, isn't one that we talk about, but I believe it's so important. So important. Um, so often people are like, man, they're so anointed for that. And often we're like, oh, what am I anointed for? No one says that about me. 
I mean, I wanted to give a couple of examples. I wish I could go through every person here, but I, I really believe I could. And if you're not sure about your anointing, come talk to me and I'll, I'll pray with you and I would love to encourage you. But I was thinking even this morning and Chris Thomas came to, to my mind and heart, but I've watched him for years and the anointing he has to reach unreached people, to do the work of evangelism, um, to, to work for, for Jesus' name. It, it's just effortless and it's, it gives energy and it, it's catchy. And next minute we've got an 18 seat, a bus sitting out the front that we're now able to use. Um, he's worked with The Pier, with Soul Survivor, with White Lion, and he's an incredible person. First and foremost, I know he loves Jesus, but I've seen that he has an anointing as he obeys and listens to Jesus and serves him in that way. If you've ever seen Morris in the kitchen, he's anointed when he's in the kitchen, and so many of you. In hospitality, anointed. Morris and Claire next weekend are cooking for over 100 people for three days at Soul Survivor. And everyone walks away going, wow, when they do hospitality together, God increases. There's anointing in that. If you watch Hannah Gobby sit with one child, she is anointed to talk, listen and walk with children. There's a whole thing, there's a whole range of development for calling, character and gifts, but, but there's an anointing there for that that can grow. But it can change, it can move. And I guess as I land here, I'm going to ask Adam to come up and I'm, I'm going to, um, yeah, you can come now, bro. <laughs> I'm wanting us to sit with Jesus for a moment as Adam plays over us and then we're going to respond in, in song. But understanding this, letting go of my doubts and my fears and spending time with Jesus and trusting his voice, what he's called me to do, I began to let go of my control and I was able to let go of my whole bowl of rice. And then I was able to see what the king would entrust to me. Because Jesus said, if you're faithful with a little, I'll trust you with lots. And I think too often we're only willing to give away a little of our life. And I think we miss out on the greater anointing and trust that God wants to trust into us. And if we are faithful with our calling as worshippers to sit with Jesus in and out day to day, I believe he'll guide you and he'll anoint you, whether it's cooking for your neighbour, whether it's talking to someone new, meeting with someone. He will guide you and lead you as we let go. And I'm so thankful that I, I finally, after years, let go and listened to him in that moment of my life seven years ago when the agency said goodbye and I cried over that email. And then as I stepped into following what Jesus said to do, I felt the anointing increase. I felt the trust increase. And seven years later, I'm so thankful for that. But we need to come to Jesus. We need the kingdom and we need the king. And so I, just this morning, I'd like you just to look to Jesus. Turn to him now. Talk to him about your relationship with him and trust he'll lead you from there. Would we know the Son of God who stepped down from heaven for us? Thank you, Jesus.